as usual, we have uh, questions and response after. Uh, the, uh, we're basically getting uh, criteria clear. We want questions that are about how to understand or apply the text and short. So if you have a question that fits those, uh, then you can go to gfc.mills.live and submit it. So let's pray as we look at God's word together. Lord, your word says, those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. And so, Lord, would you give us understanding? Would you allow us to receive instruction from your word today? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Jennifer has a good job in finance, and one of her responsibilities is to help choose investments. She's part of a team, and her job is basically to pick good investments for her clients. Well, she's part of a team, and they've picked uh, a company that really she believes uh, she can't support because of her faith. It, makes a, it doesn't make a positive contribution to society, and it actually uh, endangers society. And so she is struggling because she really believes uh, from her conscience that she can't support this company. She could have gone ahead with the investment, or she could have vetoed it. It violates her conscience. And so what she did is she sought advice and she said, I can't support this. So in the end, I'm not going to veto the deal, but I'm not going to participate in any bonuses that come from investing in this. And so she spoke to her team and said, I can't support this. I'm not going to stand in your way. Go ahead. And the end of the year, she knows it's going to cost her financially. That bonus is going to be big and she's not going to get it. And almost, it's also going to hurt her reputation, possibly among her team who don't understand why she's taking a stand like this. And then there's William. William didn't grow up in a Christian home. He became a Christian seven years ago. As he's grown in his faith, he's wrestled through many issues. And one of them is this. He's convinced that marriage is a covenantal, lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. And it's meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his church. The challenge for William is that he experiences same-sex attraction. He's lonely. Some of his friends think that he's crazy, but he believes that God's will for all people is for chastity outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage. And he's, so he's committed himself to chastity, even though that means that he won't enjoy the partnership that he longs to experience. Then there's a third person I want to introduce you to today, Ming. And she actually did grow up in a Christian home. And she trusted Christ at an early age, and she's part of a good church. But a lot of her friends have begun to deconstruct. And she's been hurt by church. She feels a little bit lonely and disappointed. And she's second-guessing her faith because so many of her friends have abandoned the faith. And she's wondering whether it would be better to take a break from church or even to take her faith a little less seriously. Jennifer, William, and Ming are all facing similar versions of the same thing. Following Jesus is hard. It comes with a cost, and at first glance, it really doesn't seem obvious that it's worth paying that price. It would be so easy for all three of these individuals to ignore the cost and to just take the easy route because the advantages are so obvious, and it can be hard to follow Jesus when there's a cost. And friends, today Hebrews 11 speaks to Jennifer, to William, to Ming, and to us with a simple message. 
Trust what God says is true, even when it doesn't look like it. Trust what God says is true, even when there's a cost. In other words, it says to uh, Jennifer, trust God about what he says about storing up treasures in heaven. Trust God that it's actually worth giving up financial advantage and gaining his approval, even when it means losing out on a big bonus. You're losing nothing. Even when it means losing your reputation at work, trust God in that circumstances. It says to William, trust what God says is true about sexuality, even when it looks hard for you. Trust that God's way is better even if it looks like a life of sacrifice. It says to me, trust God that it's worth following him even when we're hurt by others in the church, even when our friends are falling away. And it says to you today, where, where is it hard for you to follow Christ? Trust what God says is true, even when the cost is high, even when it doesn't look obvious that that cost is worth paying. We're in a series, uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and man, we're clipping along. We're in chapter 11 today, and Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were facing the same challenge that the three people and many of us are facing today. What do you do when following Christ is hard? What do you do when it looks like, man, uh, following Christ means sacrifice, it means uh, deprivation, it means going against the trend? And these people that the writer is addressing were tempted to abandon Jesus, and the message of Hebrews has been basically this in a nutshell. Jesus is better. Jesus is worth following because no matter what the cost, because Jesus is better than anyone or anything else. And so we've been looking at uh, chapter after chapter of the writer just exalting Jesus and saying, look at Jesus when you see that Jesus uh, is so glorious. Why would you not choose to follow him? When you see the incomparable greatness of Jesus, it will lead you to stand firm even when it's hard. And that's been the main point of the book. You can get into all the details. The details, by the way, are wondrous. Uh, Hebrews is one of those books where you can dive in deep, but there's so much to learn there. But if you want to zoom out and just from a, a 30,000 foot view, look at the message, it's saying Jesus is glorious. When you see his greatness, it will lead you to stand firm in Jesus, even when it's hard. And he's been showing the supremacy of Christ. And in this chapter, he uh, continues what Jason began last week. He's applying this now, and he's saying, stand firm. And in his chapter 11, he gives examples of people who stood firm in the faith, even when it was hard. We're going to look at this chapter, and it gives us example after example. I've given you three today. It gives you example after example, a person that had to pay the price. Uh, they were facing a situation where uh, they faced a, a choice between doing what was obvious and doing what was costly, and they chose to do what was costly because they believed God. They stood firm and believed the spiritual realities that God had revealed are true. And today I want to uh, look at this. I want to show you what this passage says. It essentially says two things. And here's the first. The first thing is it shows us what faith is. Here's what faith is. And the second thing it does is it shows us what faith looks like when it's lived out. And so here's what faith is in verses 1 to th uh, 3 of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is, what is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand, this is an example he gives us, uh, case study here. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made of things that are visible. So here's what faith is, he's saying. Faith is believing what God says is true even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't look like it's true. Faith is looking at God's revealed word and saying, okay, God has said this is true. I have no way of verifying this. I have no way of uh, seeing it or proving that it's true with my own eyes, but God has revealed it. Faith is accepting what is true. And he even goes further and says, what do you do when what God has revealed contradicts what we would tend to think naturally? We might look at what God has revealed and say, I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. That isn't what I would think is true. Or maybe there's others who are saying that's not true. He says, faith is taking God at his word, even when the evidence is not immediately obvious to us. In other words, faith is being sure that everything that God has revealed is true, is true. And it's a rock-solid confidence that you can trust what God says is true. You know, uh, so many times in preaching, I'm preaching the word of God, and I know that as I'm preaching, one of the the tricks of preaching is to understand the objections that are going to come up in people's minds. And, and so over time, you learn, like, as you're preaching, you're like, you might be, you'll see a good preacher say, you might be wondering this. And over time, I've realized, especially in our culture today, there's a lot of things that God's word says that contradict the way that our culture thinks. And so there's all these times where we're faced with, well, God's word says this, but kind of the, the way that I think is this. And we're always forced to choose. Here's what faith is. Faith is always looking at what God's word says and what culture says. And if there's a conflict between them, it's always going with what God says. It's always saying, if God says it, I can rely on that. I can't trust what culture says. It's a rock solid confidence that if we ever face that dilemma, is this true or do I believe culture? God's word is true. In verse one, he gives us two categories in which this is the case. He talks about things hoped for. There's things in the future that have not yet happened. Faith believes that what God says is true about the future. We believe that. All the promises God has given us. You know, for instance, have you ever stood by a graveside and wondered, you know, you read these verses about the resurrection, you're burying a body in the ground, and you're reading these messages about what God says is true about the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth. Do we believe, do we have any evidence that that's true? Yes, we do, actually. Jesus rose from the grave. But in that moment, we can, we can believe what God says is true because faith is actually believing the things about the future that God says are true that have not yet happened. But he gives us another example, things not seen. There's all these things that happened in the past that we didn't see. And so verse three Uh, The writer gives us an example of that. Things not seen. We were not here when this world was created. Nobody was. How do we know that God created it? Because God says he created it. Faith means believing that everything that God reveals about the past and the future is true. And so take some of the examples of things that we weren't here to see. Were you here to see Noah build the ark? No. No. Were you here to see Moses lead his way through the Red Sea? No. 
Were you there to see Jesus to, uh, dying on the cross? These are all events that scripture records are true and that we embrace by faith. What about the future? Do we know, how do we know that Jesus will return again? Because God said so. How do we know that to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Because God has assured us. How do we know that Daryl today is in the presence of his Savior? Because Paul said to uh, live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, Paul expressed that I'm, you know, I'd much rather depart because then I'd be with Jesus. Friends, today I'm a little bit jealous of Daryl because what we talk about today, Daryl is seen with his own eyes. He's beheld the glory of Jesus. How do we know this is true? How do we know that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth? Because we just take what God said, he's revealed it to us, it's true. And that's what Hebrews says faith is. Faith is being sure that what God has said about the past, our present and future is true, even when we don't see it with our own eyes. In verse six, he says, faith is essential. Uh, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What he says here is faith is essential. Uh, there's certain things you have to believe that you have to receive by faith. You have to believe that God is who he says he is, that he rewards those who seek him. Today, if you're hearing faith, a lot of people think faith is a, a blind leap, that somehow you need to suspend your judgment. You know, you come to church, you turn off your brain, and you just hope what's, you know, you hope it's true. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about suspending your uh, brain. God's given you a brain. He's not talking about chucking the evidence. Here's what he actually is saying. Faith is simply, with your mind, as you reason through scripture, as you uh, take in his word, faith is actually taking what God said and saying, if God says it, I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to, with my mind, my faculty, my reasons, actually embrace what God has revealed and move all my chips into the reality that God can be trusted. Faith, a good example of faith is what you did today, all of you have done. You sat on the chair. When you sat on the chair, you placed all your weight on that chair, and you trusted that as you placed your weight on that chair, that it would hold you. And that's an example of, of what the Bible means by faith. Faith is simply taking what God has revealed and putting all your weight on what God has said is true and believing that it is so trustworthy that it can hold you, that you can move your whole life onto the reality of what God has revealed. And especially when it doesn't look like it, especially when there's a cost. Faith is believing that because God has revealed it, even though society denies it, even though there's a cost, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live according to what God has revealed. Faith is trusting what God says is true, even when it doesn't look like it, and even when there's a cost. That's what faith is. If you notice, uh, when I preach, if you ever get char, if you ever get a, in the Q&R a question of like, great, I get the idea, what does it actually look like? That's probably Shar who's submitted that. She's like, okay, and that, uh, what I love he, about this chapter is, you know, I've talked about what faith is at a conceptual level. What he does for the rest of the chapter is he says, okay, I've given you this grand theoretical example of what faith looks like. Like faith is simply taking what God says is true. And the rest of the chapter 
he actually says, let me show you what it looks like in real life. Let me actually show you what it looks like to live by faith. And so in verses 4 to 40, he gives us example after example of what it looks like. And it all comes down to one thing. There's uh, one thing all these examples have in common. All of these people trusted what God says is true at a cost. All these people trusted what God said is true even when it didn't look like it. I love this because we need examples. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Some of you are examples to me. I look at the way you live your life, and I, I think, well, if they can trust God in this situation, I can do it too. If they can do it, I have the same, the Holy Spirit is, the, the Holy Spirit they have is the same spirit at work in me. If they're doing this, I can do it too. I've been learning from some of you. And what he does in this passage is he gives us a number of examples. What I love about it, every single one of these people is flawed. It gives me hope because I'm flawed too. You and I can follow Jesus even if we stumble and fall. What I love about this list is some of them you're going to look at and go, really, they're an example of faith? I wouldn't have included them in this chapter. And the point of this passage is not that these people were perfect. In fact, some of them were far from, all of them were far from perfect. Some of them were catastrophic failures. And yet in every case, at some point in their life, they just said, I'm going to believe what God says is true. God is the initiator. There are the responders. They simply trusted him, even when it looked like it was crazy. And so what does faith look like? Looks like Abel, who not only worshiped God from the heart, but offered a blood sacrifice. At some level, Abel understood that sin deserved death. And he brought a blood sacrifice, foreshadowing what Christ would do. Faith looks like coming to God the only way we can through the blood of a sacrifice offered in our place. Looks like Enoch in verse, verses five and six who lived a life that was pleasing to God. Faith just looks like obedience in the daily details of life. Every day waking up and I'm so challenged by those who wake up every day. I'm not like this. I wake up every day and think of my to-do list. I'm so in awe of those who wake up every day and the first thing they say is, good morning, Lord, I need you today. And then through the day, just live in this ongoing relationship with God. Enoch did this just in the everyday details of life. He walked obediently with God. Verse seven, faith looks like Noah, who acted on God's instruction and built an ark even before he had any evidence of a flood. Faith simply looks like obeying what God says is true before we see any evidence that what he says is true. Faith looks like being willing to uh, be mocked by others who are like, what are you doing? You actually believe that what God says is true? And, yep, I believe it. God, I don't care. I'm not going to live according to what you think is reasonable. God has revealed it, so I'm just going to believe that what he says is true. I'm going to act even though it looks like it's crazy to you. Faith looks like Abraham, who didn't even know where he was going. Uh, idol worshiper, who God said, go, he went. It looked like not even fully experiencing God's promise in his life. But he knew that God's promises aren't limited to this earthly life. Abraham chucked his uh, bucket list Actually, he didn't. He kept his bucket list, but he said, 
I believe that some of these things that I want are only going to be fulfilled in eternity, and that's okay. Abraham just simply went when God told him to go, and he believed that God would make good on his promises, even if it took until eternity to do so. Faith looks like Sarah, too old to have children, and yet she knew that God could do whatever he decided to do in verses 11 and 12. Friends, some of you have been hoping for years, uh, crying out to God for something. Faith is simply believing God can do it in his timing, in his way. Uh, the obstacle doesn't matter. God can handle any obstacle. I'm just going to believe that he's powerful. I'm going to keep praying. I don't know his will, but I'm going to keep believing that he can do the impossible because he's God and I'm not. Verses 17 to 19 looks like Abraham who had only one child. That one child was the way that God was going to save the world. And God told him to sacrifice that child. I'm sure it didn't make sense to Abraham. I'm sure it was a gut-wrenching trip. And yet he went and it says that he just believed, well, if God is commanded to do it, God's got some way, like God can bring him back from the dead. I just trust. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm just going to believe that God always makes good on his promises. I can trust God with what's dearest to me, even when it doesn't make sense. Believing that God will make a way somehow. Looks like in verses 20 to 22, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph who trusted that God would bless the world through their family. By the way, dysfunctional family. And they believed that God was still going to work through their family line, even when it seemed hard that it would come true. Verses 23 to 27, it looks like Moses, whose parents were willing to risk the wrath of the most powerful man in the world. And it looks like Moses, who was willing to walk away from the pleasures of the richest nation in the world because he knew that God was better. Looks like in verses 28 to 30, Israel, who trusted in God's salvation through the blood of the Passover lamb and were willing to trust God even when pursued by their enemies. Verse 31, it looks like a foreign woman who took God's side over her own people's side and was rewarded from deliverance from death. And then it looks like a motley crew of people, judges, kings, and prophets. They doubted and compromised and sinned and they suffered. And in fact, not all their stories ended well in the short term. They were martyred, many of them. But in verses 32 to 38, they were faithful. As Persian says, they understood that afflictions are better than pleasures. When it comes to God, uh, that in some cases, it's better to follow God at a cost rather than to avoid the cost and, uh, and, and disobey God. It's far better to suffer. They believe what God said is true. And the world wasn't worthy. They never got recognized on earth. But God took notice and rewarded them. What do they all have in common? When it came down to it, they just believe what God says is true, even when it didn't look like it, even when there was a cost. If they trusted that what God says is true, even when it was hard, and if they were people just like us, friends, we can do it too. Not because we're powerful, not because we're better, but because we have the spirit. We can refuse to compromise our convictions at work. We can take a costly stand at work and think of these examples and say, well, if, if, if Moses could risk everything, maybe I can risk a promotion. You know, it, we can honor God with our sexuality and our relationships. We can look at all these heroes of the faith. We can say, well, if some of them were willing to give their lives to honor God, maybe I can sacrifice my desires to honor God. 
We can cling to Christ when we've been hurt by church and others are abandoning him because what he says is true. Our hope is in him, not in people, even when it looks like it's hard. In fact, verses 39 to 40 say something amazing. It says, all those commended through their, uh, although all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And then he says this, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. When he says God has provided something better for us, just think of the sacrifices these people made without having seen Jesus. And we've experienced something that they didn't. We've seen the beauty and glory of Jesus. We've seen his costly death on our behalf. We've seen how he went to the cross in obedience to his father and paid the price for our sins, arose again from, was vindicated by God, is interceding for us. Friends, we've seen his high priestly ministry in Hebrews. We've seen the new covenant. We've experienced his glory. And if they were able to obey God, even when they didn't see this, how much more should we who've seen the beauty and glory of Jesus? So here's what I'm going to challenge us to do from Hebrews today. Friends, look at one hand at the cost of following Jesus. Look at all the things that you will be called to give up and sacrifice. Look at the heavy cost. I understand for many of us, the cost will be heavy. Look at it. Look full at it. Don't minimize it. Look at it. Then look at the greatness of our Savior. Look at the promises he's given you. Look at everything that he said is true. Look at it, the songs we've sung today about his heart for you. And as you look at both of these, look at both of them and then go with Jesus. Look at the beauty and glory of Jesus and say, I am willing because what he says is true. I'm willing to put up with all of this for his sake and more. And it will be worth it in the end because he never will let me down. And then move all your chips into trusting what God says is true even when it doesn't look like it's true. And you will be numbered among those in Hebrews 11 that took God seriously, and God will vindicate in the end. He will not let you down. He's worth trusting. He's worth following no matter what the cost. And so, Lord, this is real for us. This is not a theoretical uh, thing. I know that many people here today are facing similar issues to what we talked about today. There is a cost to following you. That is by design. Uh, Jesus and Scripture never minimize that. Uh, Scripture is very honest that to follow you means leaving uh, father and mother. It means taking costly stands. It means uh, paying a price. It means taking up our cross and following you. So, Lord, we are meant to face this cost. But then we see the beauty of Christ. We see his willingness to offer his life for us. We see the precious promises that he's made to us. And we realize it's more than worth it. And so, Lord, whatever it is today, would you give us the faith to trust that what you say is true, that you are trustworthy, that we can follow you no matter what the cost, because you are worthy, because Jesus is worthy, because he is more than worth it. Father, I pray that you would allow us to, even in costly ways, to believe that there's nothing that we give up in this life that will not be repaid both in this life and the next life a hundredfold. I pray that we would look to Jesus and say he is more than worth it. 
that we, like Daryl, will one day look at the face of Jesus and say there's nothing that we've suffered in this earth that will not be more than made up for there by an eternal weight of glory in eternity. And so, Lord, for all of us today who are facing this in the real details of life, help us to trust Jesus. Thank you that he died. Thank you that when we fall short of this, that our sins are forgiven. Thank you that your spirit is working at us, sanctifying us. Would he continue that work? May we glorify you, Lord, no matter what the cost, because we trust you. We ask in Christ's name. Thank you, Daryl, for, uh, for preaching to us from this very long and lengthy passage. Um, so just give you some, a few minutes or one minute <laughs> to just go over some questions or if you want to submit your question that you haven't yet. Um, okay, how about we start from this question first? Um, so why should I believe that Bible is true as opposed to other texts from different religions? Yeah, I mean, uh, on one hand, I want to... I'll answer this two ways. So one is to say, uh, if you look at it, it's trustworthy. Uh, I, if you just look at it, if I, like I would tell you, come with your objections. Look at reason. You know, look at it. So I think there's just a lot of uh, evidence that what it says is true. But the second thing I would say is, uh, it's interesting. The ESV, there's a number of narrators that just uh, narrated the whole Bible. And I've heard this from a number of people who just read it. When they came away, uh, some of you have seen the blog article, they said, this thing is alive. They, as they began to read it, there was something that, uh, the word of God says it's alive, right? But they, they saw just there's an internal power. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, when she began to read it, she read it as a skeptic to discredit the Bible. And she said as she read it, the Bible became larger than her own heart. And she, just, she entered it as a skeptic and was convinced that it had to be true. So I would just say encounter it, like begin to read it. Mm -hmm. uh, and God, ask God to reveal to you if it's real. He will. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I believe if you come, he will reveal to you the truth of his word. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, another question. So on the other hand, what specific examples or evidences do you use when explaining to someone that faith is not blind? I think it goes back to uh, what scripture says faith is. This is a really good passage to look at. Because in every case, uh, both the explanation and the examples is not to take a blind leap of faith or to uh, check your brain at the door. It's simply trusting what God says is true. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I would just uh, I would just look at what the Bible says faith is, and it never asks you to take a blind leap. It asks you just to accept that what God says is true and and to act as if it is. Hmm. Um, another question for you. So why should? Oh, wait. So how do we continue to have faith in God that he could perform miracles, but also knowing that God may not answer that prayer because, you know, everything is God's will? The thing that's helped me is, uh, and I forget who's, I think it might have been Tim Keller, but I think he got it from somebody else. Prayer is asking God for what you need, but trusting that he will give you, if you knew everything he knew, you would agree with his answer. And so we can pray to God, uh, even knowing that he might not answer, but knowing that his answer is going to be better than what we asked for. So that's helped me because I'm praying for a lot of things. I don't, God doesn't answer all my prayers, yes. But in every case, I'm just trusting that what God answers is actually better than even what I'm asking for. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't understand it all the time, but yeah. Yeah, I don't need that. All right. Uh, <laughs> this one's funny. Okay, so I've been hearing the emphasis on the object of our faith rather than strength of our faith. So yeah. something I mentioned today. 
So today's message sounds like a call to strengthen our faith and trust in God. So can you explain to us the relationship between the two? Yeah, uh, you're right. The, the, our idea is that it's not how much faith we have, but it's the object of our faith is that our faith is in God. And I would say in Hebrews 11, some of these people had fairly wobbly faith, and yet it was the object of their faith that in the end, even with uh, barely hanging to a thread, they trusted God. I think that there's a tension in the Christian life that the object of our faith is what matters. And yet Jesus turned to his disciples many times and said, come on, guys, like, oh, you have little faith. So uh, although we only need a little bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith, uh, it's also important for us to grow our faith and not be content with like, all I have is a little, that's enough. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, that's true, but we need to continue to grow in faith, especially as we live it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Okay, one last question. It's not a direct application of this text, but something people are interested in to know. So is chastity the only solution for those who struggle with same-sex attraction? Yeah, and, and not just for those who struggle with same-sex attraction, but uh, for anyone who's not in a marriage relationship. One of the things, and we, man, I want to preach on this one day, but one of the things that uh, people have pointed out is uh, chastity does not mean loneliness. Like there's all kinds of very rich, non-sexual relationships that we can build. And in fact, we're called to build as a church. So part of our calling is to actually uh, build in uh, Christ-honoring relationships that are deep and intimate. And uh, so, yeah, if, I think it's for anyone who's single, whether same-sex attracted or not, we're called to both chastity. Uh, and the same for those who are married. We're called to actually honor God with our sexuality and build deep, rich, intimate relationships that honor God that don't leave us lonely at the same time. Okay, yeah. thank but you. But that's a whole, we need to return to that. That's a whole series. Yeah, because I actually do have a follow-up question. I don't know if you mind me asking no, you. No. So, like, I don't want to presume, <laughs> I didn't ask this question, but I don't want to presume the, the meaning behind this question. But I wonder if part of the question is also, but do you think someone who experienced same-sex attraction could, by God's will, have a change of heart? Or is it, like, going to be for everyone who experiences it? Or is it limited to only some? Yeah, just would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I am not an expert from what I understand. Some godly people who follow Christ uh, always experience, uh, some of them actually, like I, I know Rosaria Butterfield says, uh, she was somebody who experienced same-sex attraction, and she married a man ultimately, and she said, what I learned was, I don't need to be attracted to men, I need to be attracted to a man. And so she said, I'm still not attracted to men, but I'm really attracted to a man. And so for her, it was just like, let's, let's actually narrow the scope and say, like, maybe ask God for that. But I know the testimony of others has been that they still continue to struggle with uh, same-sex attraction as a temptation. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I think that it varies, really. But just in the way that we all struggle with temptation on an ongoing basis, it might be that we continue that wanes or strength, sometimes high, sometimes low, but God will give us grace uh, just like with any other temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so, let's, uh, so let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even the faith to believe in you ultimately does not come from us. It's not because some of us are more humble, you know, we are more open-minded, or we have a better character so that we came to faith in Jesus. But Lord, the faith that we have is a gift from you. For it is by your grace that we have received this precious gift to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And Father, we pray that even for many of us with a little faith, that you will grow that little faith to a strong faith, that you will nurture us by
by your Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the saints and the body, that you would grow us the faith so that we would resist the temptations and the doctrines of the world, that in the face of lies, in the face of costs, that we will still hold on firmly to the faith that only Jesus Christ can save us and only Jesus can completely and sufficiently satisfy all our needs. Oh Lord, by your spirit, help us to do what we cannot do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.